Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32. Now, remember our study last week. Beautiful, beautiful passage about warfare. You have 12,001 men with zero casualties. Remember in chapter 31, uh, verse 49, you know, it says, Your servants have taken a count of the men of war who are under our command, and not a man of us is missing. You see, how beautiful is this to see zero, 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 zero casualties? None. And you know, that's exactly what happens when we're one with the Lord. Zero casualties. You know, a lot of times you see people and some, maybe it's you. And I tell you this from experience, problems that I've had in my own life where it's like, man, you know, you see the ups and downs of our walks with the Lord. And 100% of the time, the problem isn't with him. 100% of the time, the problem is with me. And I'm going to venture to say the problem is 100% of the time with you as well. I don't say it to hurt your feelings. But let's be honest with ourselves. Just as 100% of the time the problem is with me, it's, it's the same with all of creation. Remember, he is the potter. He is the potter. We're the clay. Now, the question is, what kind of clay? Are we hard clay or are we soft clay? Because hard clay gets harder and harder and harder and then it gets broken. Soft clay, the circumcision is beautiful, the condition of your heart. It is entirely possible for the walk of a Christian to have zero casualties. And I speak very spiritually when I say that. To have multiple, numerous victories. It is entirely possible. The question is, how dead do you want to be? How dead do you want to be? Remember, Paul, I am crucified with Christ. And we make very heavy emphasis on those are Paul's words, Paul's words, Paul's words that he is crucified with Christ. Does that mean that those words are not for us? Absolutely, they are for us. The question is, do they apply to us today? Because if I'm going to do my sex, my drugs, my rock and roll, my alcohol, my all these other things, I can't say I'm crucified with Christ because there's no crucifixion. There's no carrying of my cross. And if that can be said of me, the same can be said of you if that were the case. Now, a little disclaimer, if that could be said of me, I can no longer be a pastor. It's not the case with me. It used to be the case of me 20 some years ago, but no longer, no longer. It is possible to have numerous victory after victory after victory after victory. It is entirely possible. So why doesn't that happen? Why don't we see victory after victory in the lives of Christians, in the lives of our, ourselves? Why is that? Is the problem the Lord? Absolutely not. The problem is with us. I remember one time I walk into church. I walk into the fellowship and, you know, one of the men's leaders, this was, you know, a, a, a previous fellowship <laughs> But one of the men, uh, uh, ministry leaders, he comes to me, he approaches me, and he's like, hey, you know, are you okay? Do you have any uh, problems with sin? And I'm like, no, you know, I, I, no, I, every, you know, praise the Lord. You know, everything's fine. 
Then he pulled me to the side and he's like, oh, you know, like that kind of like secretive, you know, he kind of whispers a little bit. No, no, no. Do you have any problems with this and that? And he started naming these things. And I, 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 was, I was like, look, man, don't, don't be projecting your problems on me. You know, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And yeah, there's like issues that happen, you know, like, you know, we have little arguments, you know, arguments in my marriage, arguments in my home. They're pretty cheesy. For, for <laughs> they're, they're crazy cheesy. I mean, an argument in my home might last about mm, five seconds. If it's a really, really bad argument, mm, 15 seconds. That's that's the extent of the arguments in my home. I mean, they're mostly wrapped around like what's for dinner. You know, I want my, I want might want spaghetti for dinner and my wife might want, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, hamburgers, you know. And, and so it's like there's a little little bit of a, a tiff, but it only lasts five seconds. It, 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 there's, that's not to say that we don't argue, but that's that's really the extent of our argument. They're pretty cheesy. But praise be to the Lord, because 20 some years ago, I almost murdered her. You know, praise be to the Lord because of the works of his hands. And so this guy, this men's leader, he's like, you know, tell him, oh, you sure there's no problems with this? I'm like, look, every, praise the Lord. You know, we rejoice. I, I'm, I'm content with my walk with the Lord, you know, and content with where he's growing me, where he's shaping me, where he, I'm content with that. You know, despite, yes, we have these little tips, you know, these little five second, little 10 second tips that I have with my bride. In light of that, it's life is beautiful. Life is, I have no complaints. And he's like, really, you are you sure? It's like, look, man, don't be projecting your sickness on me. Do you have problems with that? And he didn't want to disclose anything. But as of today, he's, he has sexual problems and is divorced that's the proof is in the pudding proof is in the pudding and it's not a boast you know my boast is in christ it's not my boast at all i'm not i don't say that to come off as boastful but the casualties we see in the church today are vast the casualties we see in the church today are many and widespread But don't forget what we looked at, what we studied in chapter 31, verse 49. Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command and not and not a man of us is missing. You see, zero casualties. Now, we're going to see more warfare here in chapter 32, more warfare. But on top of that, and even still, I have to say there is something contagious about the warrior class something contagious about the warrior class i could speak carnally and describe the warrior class but i'm not going to do that i'm going to speak spiritually because i speak to spiritual people and the word of god is spiritually discerned when i talk about the warrior class yes there are men but In my experience, the warrior class, I see a higher concentration of warriors among the women. 
such as the Chloe's, such as the Phoebe's, such as the Eunice's and the Lois's, such as these and the Priscilla's, the beautiful Priscilla's, Liddy, beautiful Liddy. Remember our study in, in the book of Acts when we looked at Lydia? I see a higher concentration, Phoebe, a higher concentration of the warrior class I see in women. My beautiful sisters in Christ. Now, men, don't be, you know, you don't have to feel bad about that. Don't feel, I mean, depending on, you know, you might. But don't let that immobilize you. Let it encourage you. Let it encourage you to strive, to die more, to carry your cross. And where you can't carry your cross, I'll help you. Where I can't carry my cross, you help me. Don't forget our Lord himself had help with his cross. Our Lord himself. But even still, there's something very contagious about the warrior class. And that's what we see here in Chapter 32. And here we go in verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. So remember, we see the spoils of war, which because they were not included in the 12,001 from last week, chapter 31, what we studied. But we see how the spoils of war, a percentage of. A smaller percentage goes to the majority and a larger percentage goes to the minority. A larger percentage to the 12,001, a smaller percentage for the uh, uh, for the entirety of the camp of Israel. And so that's where we see Reuben and Gad here. So they, they, they do have spoils of war. But then on top of that, just tending the flocks, tending the flocks, breeding the flocks, and they're, they have a great multitude of livestock. And so we continue here in verse one. And when they saw the land of Jezer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. So they see this land in Gilead of Gilead. And it's a nice location for our animals, they say. This, this seems like a really, really nice location for our animal. We got a lot of animals. We got a lot of livestock here, and this seems like a beautiful location. So now what do we do? In verse 2, look what they come up with. You know, Gad and Reuben, the children. It says in verse 2, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation. So now they want counsel from the leadership. What do we do? Look, you know, this place, it seems like a Gilead, seems like it's a nice place for our animals. And it would be a nice place for our animals. So, hey, you know what? Let's go to the leadership. And so this is what they say in, in verse 2 at the end, saying. Now, the only reason why I said that saying is because I said this before. But when I stand before the Lord, I want to give the full counsel of the word of God. I don't want to say like, oh, I, I missed this part or I didn't say this. So I know that was just one little word saying, saying. But that's why I said it, because when I stand before the Lord, giving a greater account unto him, I want to tell him, Lord, I didn't withhold anything from your people. I withheld absolutely nothing from your people. And so here we are in verse three. Well, verse two at the end, they go to the leaders of the congregation saying in verse three. Now he names these towns. Now, 
this, these towns that he's he mentioned that they they bring up the children of Gad and Reuben, these were inhabited by the Midianites, the Moabites, the Amorites, and he lists these cities in the region of Moab. Consider it like Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you have Pasadena, Bell, West Covina, East Los, you know, East Los, East Los Angeles. But if you're Latino in Southern California, it's East Los, East Los. And then you have Encino, you have Whittier, you have all these different places. So it's kind of like that in this region of Moab, you have these little townships. And so in verse three, you have Ataroth, Dibon, Jezer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliela, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon. He says in verse 4, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel. Now, don't forget that Israel fought. But, you know, you, you read this and say, wait, so Israel fought these battles in our previous studies, in these previous chapters, when they went into certain regions and they, and they uh, 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 had victories. In, in some cases, they had defeats. But all of the defeats was because of disobedience unto the Lord. All of Israel's defeats, and not just here in the, in the book of Numbers, but in future chapters, all of Israel's defeats are a direct result of disobedience before the Lord. That says a lot for us as New Covenant believers. That says a lot for us. And I tell you from experience, all of my defeats, all of my defeats, 100% were a result of of disobedience unto the Lord Jesus Christ, 100%. You see? And 100% of victories were a result of obedience to him. And we're going to study this hardcore when we get into the book of Deuteronomy in a couple more weeks. We're almost done with numbers here. And so you see that the, the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, but who was in command? It's the Lord. The Lord was in command. Yes, you know, the, the, the Israel, you, you could look at it with carnal eyes and be like, Israel defeated these people, but the Lord was using his vessels. And Israel did have victory when they were aligned with the Lord. The further away they get from the Lord, you see the increase of their defeats. Does that ring a bell for any of us? We're in the same boat. Does that ring a bell? Because in my own history, the further I got away from the Lord, there was an increase of my defeats. And just the opposite is true. The closer I got to the Lord, the increase of my victories. And I can't boast in these victories. The victories are a result of obedience unto the Lord. The victory is his. The honor and glory is his. I don't want any of it. It's all for him. But remember that. Keep that in mind for your own battles, for your own when you wage war. And so we continue here. The, count, the, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. <laughs> you know, oh, what a coincidence. 
coincidence. You know, so the children of Gad and, and Reuben, they're, they're there before the council. You know, Moses, Eleazar, the leaders of the congregation. And they're like, look, this this land looks good for, it's perfect for livestock. Oh, what's what's this? It just so happens that we have livestock. You know, <laughs> this is a beautiful pitch here, you know, not to not to cheapen it and saying it like that. But, you know, nice, smooth pitch we have going on here. This land is a land for livestock and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, remember, it's the children of Gad and uh, 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 Gad and Reuben. They're before the council, before the I say council, but they're before the leadership of Israel. Therefore, they said. If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Whoa. Whoa. What do we have here, Gad? What do we have here, Reuben? You don't want to cross the Jordan? Very interesting. This proposition they have. You know, there's this. We have a lot of livestock. Oh, and this land, it's perfect for livestock. So, uh. What do you say? What do you say? We just stay right here. In verse 6. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben. Remember, they're in earshot of the other leaders. Uh, The other leaders themselves, they have to learn these things. Eleazar, the leaders of the congregation. So Moses says this in the open forum, so to speak. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Whoa. You see? Remember last week when we studied chapter 31? And you know, oh, the defunct. The defunct, you stay home. The defunct, you stay in your tents. This fight, this war, it's only for the 12,001 men who are able to go to war. 12,001, a very, very small percentage of the entire congregation. You have a picture of the remnant, the warrior class. But then on top of that, this, the attributes of this warrior class, it's endemic. It can grow. It can be contagious. So last week we say, okay, look, the defunct, you guys stay home. Now, of the defunct, don't be defunct anymore. Chapter 31, defunct, stay home. Chapter 32, defunct, don't be defunct anymore. Because in verse 6, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? This 12,001 that we saw last week, that we studied last week, they were patterns for Israel to follow, for Israel to emulate. Patterns. The warrior class are patterns. The same way Paul is a pattern. Remember, the, the Spirit says through Vessel Paul that the Lord establishes these people as patterns. We have Paul as a pattern. We have beautiful Chloe as a pattern. We have beautiful Eunice and Lois as a pattern. Beautiful Timothy as a pattern. Barnabas, Philip, all these beautiful people as a pattern to help us, to help you and me in our walk with the Lord. You see? 
And so now the time is, it's, it's no longer 12,001. Since 12,001 was a pattern, you know, the defunct, you stay home. But now we get into chapter 32 and the 12,001 as a pattern is to say, hey, instead of being defunct, don't be defunct anymore. Learn from these 12,001. Learn from the pattern. Learn from the pattern. You have to fight. It's a time to fight. You have to fight now. You see, you know, we see in Egypt, don't forget, the Lord took care of Egypt. The Lord fought Egypt. But then the Lord says to Israel, okay, you take care of the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Midianites. Now this battle is yours. It's, it still belongs to the Lord. But who's in command? Are the people with the Lord? Because so many times we get this idea in our head that, Okay, I'm just going to, you know, the Lord will do it. The Lord will do this. The Lord will accomplish this. The Lord will accomplish that. The Lord will do this in my life. The Lord will do this. Oh, I have faith that the Lord is going to do this in my life. So let my faith, you know, my, my, my faith, you know, name it and claim it type of mindset. Oh, yeah, I, I'm faithful. I'm gonna, it's not to say that that's a bad, that it is a bad thing when wrapped in false doctrine. But who is it that the Lord uses? Just like, you know, people have this idea in their head. Oh, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. Well, biblically speaking, who does the Lord use to take care of certain things? Look at the defunct in Corinth. If we had the mindset, oh yeah, let's just, let's just, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we say of that congregation, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. Well, if God, if, if, if that carnality was allowed to fester, God would certainly take care of it, but it would be judgment. No, he uses vessel Chloe. He uses vessel Paul to say, hey, this isn't good. Your rejoicing isn't good. Now I hearken to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember our study. If you're listening for the first time, listen to all of our study through 1 Corinthians. It will help you. And then listen to our study through 2 Corinthians. It will help you. It will help you grow and mature in Christ. Because there's a separation that happens in the camp of the church in 1 Corinthians. The leaven is exemplified as the defunct. Defunct in the camp of the church. And Paul says, separate from such a person. You see. But then we get into chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. Not chapter 2, but 2 Corinthians. And Paul says, bring them back. Bring them back. You see, it's like, okay, just like chapter numbers 31 and 32. Okay, this is defunct. You guys stay home. You stay in your tent. The warriors are going to go fight. Now, it's not to say, okay, we can sit in our tents now and, you know, play our video games. We can stay in our tents and watch our TV. We can stay in our tents and do nothing. No, we learn from that 12,001. Now we get into chapter 32, and since we haven't been playing video games in our tents, since we haven't been watching TV in our, in our tents, we've been learning. Why is it that these guys are going to war? Why is it that this 12,001, why is it that they're going to war? You know, why, why are these things happening? Why do these guys get to go to war? And, you know, Phineas, 
Oh, I remember what Phineas did. Remember? It was kind of shocking. But I remember when he took that javelin and stabbed this guy and went through him and went through the woman. I remember. And that was evil in the camp of Israel. And so all these characteristics of the warrior class, all of a sudden, remember, we're not in our tents playing video games. We're not in our tents watching TV. We're in our tents feeling a little bit of shame. Because we're not of that 12,001, the warrior class. And so now we say, you know what? I'm the one who's wrong. I need to be like the 12,001. I need to be like that guy. I need to be like that guy. And so now we're the ones who change the 12,001. They're like a pattern. Now the next campaign for combat and it's no longer 12,001. It's now including Reuben and Gad and all the tribes of Israel. You see, it's in the more, more warriors, more fighters. You see, it's an Old Testament example of what we see in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You know, the defunct, the separation in the camp of the church. This is defunct. Anybody named a brother, okay, you're out. But it's temporary. Now, in that moment of temporality, it's not to say, you know, you go play your video games and you walk further away from the Lord. No, there's repentance. And then you get into 2 Corinthians, they're brought back into the church, brought back into a higher population of warrior class. Warrior class. And then we're going to see further in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts teaching, inspired of the Spirit, about spiritual warfare. You see, a time to fight. But so you get this idea, Reuben and Gad, you know, they have all this livestock and they see this land in Gilead. Oh, wow, this would be perfect for our livestock. Let's go, let's go seek counsel. And so in verse 5, Numbers 32, verse 5, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Wow. In verse 6, Moses and Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? No, there's the expectation. You guys were once defunct, but no more. Don't let your state of defunctness, defunctness fester. Don't let it fester. That's not the norm. That's not good. Don't let that become the norm. The same can be said of us today as new covenant believers. Don't let the state of defunctness become the norm. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself. Honest with yourself before the Lord. Are you defunct? And when I say defunct, I'm, you have to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. Carnal. Carnal. Babies in Christ. Remember when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, I wish I could speak to mature, but I can't. I got to speak like your babies because you were babies and you're still babies. Now, if you're a baby in Christ, praise be to the Lord. If you became a Christian last week, if you became a Christian today, but if, you, if you're a baby Christian and you've been a believer for 10 years, that's not good. I mean, I love you. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, 
But that's defunctness. That's defunctness. And you're not alone. There's a lot of defunctness in the church. What do I say? Do not be defunct any longer. Let not defunctness become the norm in your life. Because you have to fight. You have to fight. If you say, oh, I don't want to go to war. I don't want to go to war. Well, the, the war is coming to you. The war is here. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. It's, it's here. And the defunct, they cannot fight. So don't be defunct anymore. You see Old Testament example of this and New Testament example. In our, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And so we see here, shall your brethren, in verse 6, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? In verse 7, now why will you discourage the heart? Or it also translates as, why will you, also, why will you break the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? You see? Now, this desire of Gad and Reuben, they have a lot of livestock. And you have this land that it's perfect for the livestock. But their desire can influence the other tribes to where maybe the other tribes would say, you know what? I don't want, I don't want to cross over into the Jordan, cross the Jordan either. I have a lot of flock too. I, I want to stay here in Gilead. No, no, no. I, I don't want to cross over. So this desire of Gad and Reuben might seem to be right for them. We got a lot of livestock. This land is perfect for the livestock. Why wouldn't God want this for us? That's, I love you, but that's the argument of the fool. And I hear it all the time. Somebody says, well, here's problem A. Here's solution B. Why wouldn't God want this? After all, God is good. Why wouldn't God? That's the argument of the fool. Be very careful when you hear that. I hear it all the time. Oh, you know what? I have this desire in my heart. And, you know, there's this situation in my life. And, you know, this seems like this would be the good approach. This seems like this would be the good solution for me, for us, for my family, for whatever. This seems like it would be good. Why wouldn't God want this for me? That's the argument of the fool. That's the argument of the carnal believer. That's the argument of the defunct. Be very careful. Be very, very careful with that. Even in your own self, for your own self, you know, if, if, you're, if you have this mindset of why wouldn't God want this for me, you know, be in his word. Be in his word. I mean, I don't want to, uh, not to be uh, 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 profane in saying this or, or not to be heretical in saying this, but what if Paul had such a mindset? I don't want to go to this town. I, 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 might get, I might get punched. I might get punched, so I'm not going to preach the gospel over here. This, you know, why would God want me to be punched? What, doesn't he want good things for me? You see? But no, Paul doesn't do that. He's a pattern. You see? He's a pattern. Uh, we're going to have more examples. I mean, like a, a plethora of examples of this in our study through the Old Testament and New Testament. 
And I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to inject these ideas about Paul in saying that, but what if? What if? You see, it's the argument of the fool to say, I got problem A, here's the solution. Why wouldn't God want this for me? It's the argument of the defunct. It's the solution of the defunct. And wisdom laughs at folly. Wisdom laughs. That's what, what's what the Bible says. Wisdom cries out from the rooftops. But if we do not heed wisdom, biblical wisdom, if we do not heed wisdom, wisdom laughs at the folly. You see, don't let wisdom laugh. Heed wisdom, biblical counsel. You see, say of wisdom, you are my sister. Say of understanding, you are my nearest kin. Hold these things, bind these things tightly in your heart. Biblical, not the wisdom of the world, not the understanding of the world. Of the Bible. And all these examples we have before us. And the question is posed in verse 7. Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into this land which the Lord has given to them? You see, this can be this desire to not cross over. And they might paint it in the picture of, oh, you know, look, it's for, our, it's for the sake of our livestock. But maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of fear in there. Maybe there's just a little bit of fear. Understand that fear never, never, ever, ever makes the fight go away. Fear never makes the fight go away. Remember that. It never makes the fight go away. I'll tell you a little war story. One time, one day, many moons ago, it was me and some guys. And we were going to go do some things. <laughs> Um, I won't be too descriptive on what we were going to do, but we're, we're in an armory and we're, we have our gear, our weapons, we're preparing our weapons and a colonel approaches us uh, with uh, a well-respected colonel approaches us and he says this to us. He says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, don't get captured. And he didn't say it like, I say it kind of like sweetly. He didn't say it like that. There were some expletives included, but he says, don't get captured. He says, if you do get captured, we're going to rescue you. But then we're also going to kill you. You see? And I don't, <laughs> I, I don't say that to like, you know, like, whoa, where, where is he going at with this? But what I'm trying to say is the problem with fear. The problem with fear. Fear never makes the fight go away. You see, we have to properly place our fear in the Lord. It must be unto the Lord. Whatever emotion you have, whether it be anger, whether it be joy, sorrow, even fear, it must be enveloped in the Lord. Because what he gives in return, look at Joshua. I might be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Those are words that he says to Joshua. Now, we can lean on these passages. And yes, these passages can be alive for us. 
But where are the Joshua's among us? That's what blows me away so much. I mean, sometimes, I mean, we have these Bible verses. You know, they're like all over the place. You know, we have Bible verses, magnets, Bible verses. And that's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. It's, it's helpful in our walks. Sometimes. I mean, it's not helpful if we don't heed the word. But these verses, these are things that we can certainly lean on. But when the Lord spoke these things to Joshua, he didn't speak them to the whole. He said it to Joshua. When he says these things to Jeremiah, he doesn't say these things to the the whole. He says it to Jeremiah, which says what? Now, I'm not trying to say that we can't lean, you know, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I'm not trying to say that we can't. Hold on to those things. We can't lean on those verses. We certainly can. But there's a disconnect that happens in our lives. If if I'm going to live carnally, if I'm going to beat on my wife and cheat on my wife and do drugs and do alcohol and do all kinds of stupid things carnally, number one, I can no longer be a pastor. Biblically, I can no, I relinquished my ability to pastor. I'm no longer able to, no longer permitted to, biblically. But understand, this this intimacy that Joshua has with the Lord, this intimacy that Jeremiah has with the Lord, and then when the Lord speaks to them, and when what the Lord speaks to them, beautiful, beautiful passages. Beautiful passages. Beautiful words. And he says beautiful words to the prophets. But he speaks in one manner to the prophets and to another manner to the people. You know, repent, repent, repent to the prophet Isaiah. Beautiful passages to Isaiah and through Isaiah. But then at the same time, there's some that are for Isaiah but and those with him. And then there are some that are, this is for the people. This is for Israel. The same with Jeremiah. The same with Amos. I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. The Lord says, Amos, surprise, you're a prophet. Now, I'm not trying to promote exclusivity with verses. What I am trying to explain is the remnant needs to understand these things. You, my friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, we need to understand these things. Just like just like Paul. I am crucified with Christ. Yes, praise be to the Lord. Paul is an example. But then you see Christians. They say, ah, I am crucified with Christ. Meanwhile, they're going to the strip clubs. I am crucified with Christ. Meanwhile, they're doing crack. I am crucified with Christ. Meanwhile, they're getting drunk. I don't see crucifixion. I don't see crucifixion. I don't see carrying a cross at all. Where's the cross? It's it's in the garage. The cross should be on your shoulder. What's it doing in the garage? You left it on the park bench. What's it doing over there? It should be on your shoulders. 
And if it's not on your shoulders, it's on the shoulders of one who's helping you. And that one who's helping you is right next to you because that's your cross. So it's not to say that these passages are not for you. They are certainly for you. They are for the dead. And I'm going to say the dead, the dead to self. Like the Moses, like the Joshua, like the Chloe. You see, like the Phoebes, like the Hannahs. The high priest thought Hannah was crazy. The high priest. The high priest, which, you know, the high priest was to go into the, the, the tabernacle or the temple. The high priest was to go in the temple and hear from the mercy seat. It was there that the Lord would speak to the people through the high priest and the high priest would enter and go there. And the high priest thought Hannah was crazy, that she thought she was drunk. What happened? Why is it that the Lord honored Hannah and the priest was oblivious to it? Because the priest was defunct, you see? It's not to say that the promises of God were not for Hannah. They certainly were in Shelina. And how beautiful, what a beautiful example. But when we get into the Samuels, you're going to see, it's like, how come th this, th this 12,000 in one, this pattern we see, it starts to be on certain individuals. Instead of the priesthood, instead of the Kohanim, instead of the Le Levitical priesthood, you see it on Hannah. Even when the Lord speaks, Eli doesn't hear anything. The high priest, the high priest, when the Lord speaks, the Lord is not speaking to the high priest. The Lord is not speaking to his sons. The Lord speaks to little Samuel. You see, why is that? Did the Lord change his mind? Absolutely not. He never changes. But he responds to wickedness and he responds to godliness. Who had ears to hear? Beautiful little Samuel. You see? Defunct. We have Old Testament examples of the defunct and New Testament examples of the defunct. And through it all, what is it that the Lord says? Don't be defunct. Don't be defunct. That's why you see a lot of blood. Old Testament, a lot of blood. New Testament, a lot of blood. And that blood is that of our Lord. The Lamb of God. You see? Very interesting. Verse 6. Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? You're going to have the warriors go and you're going to be here in the rear with the gear? You're not going to take a bite out of this sandwich? You want to be defunct? Don't do that. The time of defunctness in our particular passage here, that was last week. But yet now here we are in 32, in chapter 32, and Israel learns from the warrior class. Just like you see Corinth, they learn from the warrior class. Remember, you have 10,000 teachers. 
You have a multitude of teachers except they're preschool teachers. That's what Paul says. You see? But he says, I, he, the way he words it is like, I gave birth to you. Like, he's male. And the way he words it is like, you've passed through my birth canal. He says that as a male. You're like my children. Such as one who has passed through my birth canal. He says it as a male. What does that mean? He's like a spiritual father. The love that he has for the church in Corinth. And he's saying, okay, don't be defunct anymore. Separate from the defunct. The carnal among you. The sexually immoral. The the the. Uh, 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 the alcohol, uh, uh, alcoholics, the drunkenness, revilers, extortioners, separate from them. Not of the world. Of the world, you'd have to get in a spaceship and fly to Mars. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, in the church. And then you get into, you see growth for the remnant in 1 Corinthians. You get into 2 Corinthians. It's like, hey, you're not defunct anymore. Don't be defunct. But you have the same thing here in chapter 32. You want to you wanna go to, the, the brethren go to war and you stay here? In verse 7, now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given to them? You're, you're impacting the promise of the Lord. Unto Israel, the entirety, the whole of the camp. If you do this thing, because you might influence them. You might be an influencer to them in your state of defunctness. There's many of the defunct class who are influencers of the church today. The defunct influence the defunct. What does the Lord say? If the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now, Moses gives the example of history, biblical history, and recent history here in chapter 32. In verse 8, thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh, Barnea, to see the land. Remember our study in chapter 13 when the recon team was sent out? The recon team was sent out. They came back. They saw the giants in Canaan. They saw the giants, and they came back to report, and they were scaredy cats. They were scaredy cats. Not all of them, but the majority of the recon team, they were scaredy cats. We have this example. This example from biblical history. In verse 9, For when they went up to the valley of Eshol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of Israel. You see, They're the fear of the minority it influenced the majority. It influenced the majority and it cost them dearly. It cost them dearly. How did it cost them dearly? Look what he says here in verse 9. So that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. You see, and there were many casualties when that happened. Many casualties. In verse 10. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Now, if you're listening, 
and you're not, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, entirely, entirely followed me. If you have not entirely followed me, or because they have not wholly followed me, it's in the Hebrew, male, mala, it's to the fullest, not lukewarm, not lukewarm, you see, that's the heavy cost. The heavy cost that came to Israel because of the fear of the recon team. They were scared. These guys were giants, the Canaanites. They're giants. We, these guys are huge. Look at their arms. Their arms are the size of my torso. They're giants. And fear. Not on all of them. In verse 12. Except Caleb, I love Caleb. I'm so in love with Caleb. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite. I'm in love with Jephunneh too. Look at who he raised. And Jephunneh's wife because she raised him too. The, the Kenizzite and Joshua. I'm so in love with Joshua. This is the assistant of Moses. Look at his influencers in his life. The son of Nun. Look at who Nun raised. For they have wholly followed the Lord. You see, they're not lukewarm. Caleb and Joshua, they're not lukewarm. Look at their influencers. You see? They're not lukewarm. They're not even red hot. They are straight up white hot. Only two. Out of multitudes. Now, when you look at the multitudes of the full census, the first census, and the, the, the that first census dies in the wilderness, when you look at the, that first census and of those people, only two go to the promised land. That is 0.0003%. Whoa. You see? Where are these two today? Where are these two today? And I speak in as an example. I don't say there's only two, but I'm speaking as an example. Where are those who possess the qualities of these two? Where are they? Who are wholly following Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, at His right hand? Who are those who are holy, holy following the Lord to the fullest? Not lukewarm. Not, oh yeah, I love Jesus Christ, but I also love my crack pipe. Oh, I love Jesus Christ, but I also like my whiskey. Oh, I, I, I like Jesus Christ, but I also like it. No, I love Jesus Christ straight up and everything else is trash. Everything else is garbage. Jesus Christ, the preeminence, not the prominence of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Jesus Christ as Paul teaches the churches in Colossia, the Colossian church. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. Where are those who are wholly following the Lord? And also in holiness. H-O-L-Y, holiness. You see? And so because the state of this defunctness, the fear, the fear factor, what happens? Look at verse 13. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years. 
until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. So you look at the fear of the recon team and the fear of the recon team. It wasn't a 100% casualty rate that this fear caused. It was almost. It was a 99.9997% casualty rate because all of that generation dies in the wilderness. You see? But among the malemala, those who are wholly following the Lord, which are only two, Caleb and Joshua, the warriors, you see, 0% casualty rate. Because they pass over, they cross over. They cross the River Jordan. You see? Victory in Christ. That's what, that's what fear can do. That's the ability of fear. Causes immobility. That's what fear can do. That's why you take your fear. It's, it doesn't invalidate your fear, but you give it to the Lord. I mean, you talk to the, uh, the warrior class. They do, they commit acts of violence. Even having fear. The difference is that Fear doesn't immobilize them. You see? There's a lot of fear among the warrior class. I mean, if you've ever talked to the warrior class, if they ever open up to you, but I've had this, conver I've had this conversation with the warrior class. Go to the psych ward at the VA hospital. You know, you see a high percentage, 90% warrior class if not a higher percentage. And if they open up to you, and some of them have opened up to me, a beautiful, beautiful man with no legs, Vietnam War, he says, call me stumps. Beautiful, beautiful man. And he opens up to me. We share our war stories. He opens up to me and explains his fear or explains how he was fearful. But yet he committed these acts of violence for the sake of his guys, his team, his platoon, his squad. He lost his legs in so doing. Now, I don't want to glamorize war, but I also don't want to, I don't want you to be immobilized by fear because that's what Satan wants. He wants you to be afraid of the Canaanites. He wants you to be afraid of the Moabites, of the Midianites, of the Hittites, of the Hivites. He wants, and I speak spiritually in saying that. And because people are defunct, yet they have defunct pastors compromised by sin. They, say, they come up with these excuses. Oh yeah, that's just men. Men will be men. Women will be women. Men will be men. No, that's, that's a lame argument. Where are the warrior class? You have the warrior class in chapter 31, but it's to say, let this warrior class, the 12,001, be a pattern. Let this warrior class be 
attractive in the sense of attracting the defunct to no longer be defunct. You see? Let it be contagious, this warrior class, the warrior mentality, the warrior mindset. Turn with me really quick to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, verse 5, it is written, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write. He says to Brother John, he says, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done! Exclamation point. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Freely to him who thirsts. You say, oh wow, this is so beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. A million times yes, this is so beautiful. But let's look at verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Wow, praise be to the Lord. A million times yes, a thousand times yes. I love this. Let's look at verse 8. But the cowardly, whoa. The cowardly? Very interesting. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see? Yes, death has no sting. But not everybody can say, death has no sting for me. It's only the Christian. And when I say only the Christian, without defunctness. Remember? Nothing mangy. How many times do you hear us in our studies through the Old Testament? Several times in the New Testament. Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. What does that say of you and me? Let us not be mangy. We're in the same boat. I don't want to be mangy and I don't want you to be mangy. You see, nothing mangy. That cowardly? All the, verse 8, I get the murders, I get it. The abominable, I get it. Sexually immoral, I get it. Sorcerers, yeah, understandable. Idolaters, liars, yep, I get it. They shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, I get it. But the very first one in verse 8, the cowardly. You see? You see this very example in the Old Testament with the recon team. The recon team of Numbers 13, they go out. They see the giants of Canaan and they, they're scared. Then they come back to the camp and they tell the camp, these guys are huge. Their arms are as big as my torso. Their toes are the size of my head. These guys are giants. They're going to kill us. And fear spread. You see, instead of courage being Contagious. Instead of courage being endemic and contagious, it was fear. And the whole of that generation dies in the wilderness. Except two. Save Joshua, save Caleb. 
courage. Non-cowards, non-defunct. You see? Malemala. They wholly followed the Lord. That's what fear can do inside of us. Now, fear is part of the human experience. But give it to the Lord. Anger, sadness, joy, sorrow, it's all, all emotions. It's part of the human emotion. You must give it to the Lord. Let it be enveloped by the Lord and He will teach you. He will show you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. Give it all to the Lord. 100%. Give it all to the Lord. Fear, as part of the human experience, don't let it immobilize you. We properly place our fear unto the Lord and we fear Him. Not the one that can destroy body, but the one that can destroy soul. You see? It's much deeper than the carnal. It's much deeper than what we see with our human eyes, what we hear with our human ears. We need spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to discern these things. Now, if you're listening and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to do something. I want you to hit pause. Hear me out and then hit pause. But if you want to believe, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you want to receive him as Lord and Savior, hit pause. Not yet. Let me see what I got to say. And then listen to a message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You'll never be the same. God loves you. But it's your sin that separates you from him. He wants oneness with you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to be your father. But your sin separates you from him the same way my sin separated me from him. The only way, the only way you can have oneness with your father in heaven is through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. That's the only way. He takes your sin. You believe in Jesus Christ? He takes your sin and he places it on his son and his son died on the cross and he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin and all who believe. And if that's you and you want to receive Jesus Christ, you believe and you want to receive him as Lord and Savior, then listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ and you hit pause and you do just that. And when you're done, come back and listen, continue in our study. Because these things are spiritually discerned. I'm not called to speak to the dead. I'm called to speak to the living. These things are spiritually discerned. Eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says in these last days. But that's what fear can do. It's very, very powerful what fear can do. And Rather than give in to fear, don't give in. Give up and give it to the Lord in fear of him, the one who can destroy not just flesh, but also soul. And we fear him. It's a healthy fear. You might hear that. And you're like, what? what are you talking about? I thought God loves it. Yes, he loves. But he's still Lord. Don't forget, he's still Lord. He's still Lord. Yes, he's loving Yes, he's merciful, gracious. But at the same time, he he's still judge. He's still the authority. 
You see, Satan himself, Lucifer, he wanted to exalt himself above the Lord. And he was cast down. Read Isaiah 14. He was cast away. The Antichrist given, possessed by, the, by, by Satan himself. Only two people in the Bible possessed by Satan. One was uh, 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 Judas, and then the next is the son of perdition, the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, he wants to exalt himself as God, proclaiming to be God. Same tricks. Same tricks, just like you see in Isaiah 14, Satan, same. So now we see that this, this idea that pops up in the heads and the minds of Gad and Reuben. Okay, I know that, you know, we're, you know they, they survived up until this point. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that, I mean, they, you know, praise be to the Lord that they survived. They made it to this point because look at, I mean, look at the, 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 the tents of Korah. They were swallowed up by the earth. The tents of Korah and all who followed after Korah. All these, you know, when plagues befell the camp of Israel, Phineas stopped the plague. Uh, praise the Lord that Reuben and Gad made it this far. But even though they made it this far, they get this idea in their heads like, okay, we have all this livestock. This land seems like a good, a good place for our livestock. Okay, let's go have a conversation with Moses. And then they say, okay, you know, verse five, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. But from Moses' perspective, wait a second, do you know what you're asking? Do you realize what this request you're making is? What it can cost Israel, the whole of Israel? Do you not see what it can cost? And so, Moses has to remind them, don't you remember these things? Don't you remember the recon team that I sent out? Don't you remember how they were afraid? And don't you, you don't remember? Caleb and, 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 and Joshua, they're going to cross over. They're going to pass over. But don't you remember the anger of the Lord? Just like in verse 13. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the, that, all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, exclamation point in verse 15, and look, you have risen in your father's place. Very interesting. You are the next generation of your parents. That's what Moses is saying. You're, you're, that generation that that happened to now you have risen in your father's place. I mean, you were, you were just a kid when this happened. You were just a little, some of you weren't even born. You were just little children when this happened. But God never changes. Oh, that was 35 years ago. That was 40, 39 years ago. That was 40 some years ago. Moses, you're too hardcore. No, the Lord never changes. Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord never changes. And since the Lord never changes, Moses is giving them a little history lesson. Don't you remember? And if you were too little, did your parents not tell you? You see, you have risen in your father's place. You're that next generation of your parents. Now, if you're a parent 
Understand that your kids are going to grow up and they might have kids of their, their own one day. They're going to get married. You know, Lord willing, we'll see what happens. You see, what are you passing on to the next generation? Is it beautiful or is it disgusting? And look, he says in verse 14, exclamation point, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful man. How this translates is like a progeny, like the offspring, an offspring of sinful men. Well, that's hardcore. I mean, put yourselves in the, in the sandals of Reuben and Gad. Well, Moses, we're right here. We can hear you. Yes, our fathers made a terrible choice. And you're telling us we're just like them? You're telling us we're the progeny, the offspring of these sinful men? We're right here, Moses. You're offending us, Moses. But let me tell you something. These things need to be said. These things need to be said. They need to be taught. They need to be learned. Remember, Moses, he's speaking from a position of authority, but at the same time, he's part of that first generation which will die in the wilderness. He's saying these things from an experiential standpoint in terms of he's going to die. He's not going to cross over. He's not going to cross over. And now you have Gad and Reuben saying, we don't want to cross over either. But Moses not crossing over and Reuben and Gad's desire not to cross over are entirely different, different subject matter. Different reasoning, different dealings, entirely different. For with, with carnal eyes, you can look at it and be like, okay, that's, it's the same. Look, Gad and Reuben want exactly the same thing. But with spiritual eyes, non-carnal, holy following the Lord, the, t- the two different factions are entirely different. And yet these things need to be said. And look, you have risen in verse 14 in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more or translates as to even further increase the fierce anger of the Lord uh, of the Lord against Israel. Whoa, whoa, this is hardcore. Reuben and Gad, they have this. It's a valid, it's a need. It's a valid need. They have a lot of livestock. This land looks perfect. It's a valid need. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Look at what cost. If they proceed with this, if they proceed with what they desire, look at the cost it would take, the toll it would take on Israel, not just Gad and Reuben, the whole, the whole, to increase still more or to even further increase the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. Now, I have to give a little warning in saying what I have to say. I've been called a homewrecker, a destroyer of families. And 
I used to not like that. I don't, I, I don't wear that with a badge of honor. I don't like that. I, I, it, it rubs me the wrong way. But I do advocate a different family. I, too, I do come from a different family tree. And the head of this tree is Jesus Christ. Certain things need to be taught and they need to be learned. You, you are the next generation of your parents. I'm speaking in accordance to Adam, but you are the next generation of your parents. Now, if I were to tell you, you're just like your mom or you're just like your dad. If I were to tell you those things, the majority of times, it's met with an abundance of shame. People even use it in a derogatory sense. Moms even say it to their kids. You're just like your father. You're just like your father. And it's meant in derogatory terms. Or dads use it to their kids. You're just like your mom. And it's derogatory. If I were to tell you, in accordance to Adam, you're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. Would that be met with an abundance of shame or honor? Biblically, as Christians, as new covenant believers, you see. And I don't say that to, to like hurt you. I don't say that to hurt you. But what if I were to say, you know what? You're just like Paul. Or what if I were to say, you know what? You're just like Priscilla. I choose one male and I choose one female and I only choose two. And I do that on purpose. Remember? Male mala. You see, it's a different family tree that we come from. The stump, the shoot of Jesse, a new vine. We're grafted into this as new covenant believers. Now, I, I, I jumbled the studies through Romans and Isaiah together in saying it like that. Even a little bit of Jeremiah, throw a little bit of Jeremiah in the mix. Entirely supernatural. But what about these other examples we have, Paul and Priscilla? What if I were to say, you know what? You're just like him. You're just like her. And we wear that like a badge of honor, with a badge of honor, like, wow. Paul's my hero. Priscilla's my hero. And this guy says, I'm like that. This guy says, I'm like her. This guy says, I'm like him. Wow, praise be to the Lord. You know what that is? That's the pattern. You following the pattern that God gives these patterns for us so that we can grow and mature in him. Not to just, you know, lay out a path and say, here, you know, you know have at it. No, he lays out a path. And those who walk on the narrow path, just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't just like, okay, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, okay, here's the path. Okay, have fun. And leaves you. No. He loves you. He has such immense, immense, immense love for you. And he has these patterns who walk the narrow path, who carry their cross, who are crucified with Christ, male and female. And he says, these are the patterns. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ or follow me as I follow Christ. You see? It's hardcore. 
Parents, if you're a parent, be very, very mindful of your example. The example that you give to your kids, your own example, your own behaviors. Be very mindful of these things. And I'll say this also, remember the millstone. Remember the millstone. I don't say this as a threat, but you must count the cost because there are many basket case kids. A lot of kids today, they're just straight up basket cases. You know why? Because they have basket case parents. That's why. Because the parents themselves, they're not mindful of their own examples. Kids are smart. They see, they have eyes, they have ears, they hear. I was talking to a kid one time and he's like, oh, did you see this movie? This movie was so funny. And it's a movie like I couldn't even watch the previews of this movie. I couldn't even watch the previews of this movie. They got the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. I couldn't even watch the previews of this movie. And this kid's, oh, I saw this movie. Uh, I asked him, "Do do your parents know? He says, yeah, I watched it with my dad. I watched it with my dad. And then in another room, you could hear his dad leading worship, singing songs before the congregation, before the Lord, but before the congregation, leading people in worship. You see, who is there who would shut the doors? Malachi. Who is there? Where is the Malay Malah? Holy following the Lord. Amen. In this particular case, in, in the multitudes of Israel, point zero 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 three, those of the first generation that passes with the second generation. You see? All of the first generation must die. It's a little Old Testament example. Of the generation which will not experience death. Because they pass over into the promised land. A little Old Testament example. The Lord has these things here to show us. These things became our examples. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. These things written of old became our examples for us to help you, to help me. In our walk with him. You see? In verse 15, for if you turn away from following him, this is the the warning that Moses has for uh, uh, Reuben and Gad, the warning. If you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you, and you, he says, you will destroy all these people. You see, your choice can kill the whole of the second generation. That's what he says of to Reuben and Gad. You will destroy. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. And the Lord would be responding to Reuben and Gad in their desire if they turn away from following him. You see? You will once again destroy all these people. Now, I'll say something. Your choice, my friend. My brother, my sister, your choice can kill the whole of the second generation. Men, emphasis to the men, 
A lot of men, oh, it's just a little sex, no big deal. It's just the strip club, no big deal. It's just a prostitute, no big deal. It's just a little crack, no big deal. It's just a little whiskey, no big deal. You know what you're doing? You're killing your family. You're killing, you're in the process of killing your family. The wife of your youth, you're killing her. Your children, you're killing them. You see? Oh, but they're still alive. They're still alive. I'm talking about spiritually. You see it. You don't even need me to tell you these things because we see it. When I talk about basket case kids, I don't say that like, oh, they're just basket case kids. It breaks my heart. It kills me. But just like you see defunct Christians, I don't blame them. I blame the pulpits. I blame the pastors. I blame the elders. And in that same manner, I don't blame the kids. I blame the parents. They forget the millstone. And they need the millstone. That's the alternative that our Lord himself presents. Red letters. You see? It's easy. People, they, they have kids like it's a piece of cake. You know, you do the deal. Guy gets together with the lady. They do the deal. And then nine months later, they have the baby. And oh, yeah, we're parents. We're parents. But who is the mother and who is the father? Biblically. You see? Who is the one who, the, the, the male mala in the home? Training up that next generation of righteousness. Just like you see in Hannah. Hannah, who made little, little baby clothes for Samuel. Little baby clothes, like, like the priest, priestly garments for her beautiful, beautiful, precious son. And she was barren. And she prays to the Lord. The Lord honored her prayer. And she's making, fashioning these little garments, the priestly garments for her little child. And the whole time, the high priest in his priestly garments, I'm doing my air quotes, yes, he's wearing priestly garments, but what's inside? What's inside the garment? A whole lot of mess is inside of that garment. Yes, he's wearing the priestly garments, but he's defunct. Yes, his sons have the priestly garments, but they're defunct. You see? And then you have beautiful Hannah fashioning these clothes, little priestly garments for her little son. And then the Lord cries out. There's, the Lord was silent in those days, the Bible says. And yet the Lord cries out, and who has ears to hear? Little Samuel. You see? And the next morning, uh, Eli, oh, what did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? Samuel's like, oh, it's private. I'll just keep that. But oh, no, no. Tell me, tell me, tell me. What did he say? You really want to know? I'm the high priest. If it's the Lord, I will, help. I will discern if it's of the Lord. Okay. I'll tell you what the Lord says. He says he's going to kill your sons and he's going to kill you. You see? Judgment. It's not to say that Eli didn't have an opportunity. He squandered the opportunity. 
You see, today is the day of salvation. Now, if you're not a believer and you're still not listening, or you're still, you still haven't repented and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a non-believer and you're still listening, receive him. Receive him. Acknowledge him as Lord. Repent and be saved. Today, right here, right now, is the day of salvation. And so we continue in our study. In verse... 16, I love this. <laughs> Verse 16, then they came near to him and said, this is uh, Reuben and Gad, they come near to Moses. We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. Whoa, Reuben and Gad, a little, a little bold, a little testy perhaps. Now, this is like just like contract law where you have consideration in contract law. That's what you see here. A, li a little bit of contract law here. You have their consideration, but then they propose in, not an alternative, but some little additives. They say, yeah, we'll, 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 build, our, we'll, we'll, we'll build sheepfolds here. Remember Gilead? We'll do it here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. So they're saying to Moses, we'll go, we'll be armed, we'll fight. But then he says, or they say, and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities or the defended strongholds because of the inhabitants of the land. Now, you see here, Concern for the little ones, which is, I mean, if you remember our study through chapter 13, when the recon team went out, but in chapter 14, if you look in Numbers 14 really quick, and in Numbers 14, verse 3, the reason why the fear became endemic and the fear spread, the fear was contagious. Yes, the recon team, the majority of the recon team were afraid incapacitated by fear, immobilized by fear, and that spread through the camp. But if you look at chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 3, why has, this is what the people are saying, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? You see, their concern was for their families. Yes, it's a noble, noble concern to have care for your families, but I tell you the truth, there is no better care for your families outside of Christ. There is no better care outside of Christ. The best form of care for your families is with the Lord. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. This is what the people, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? You see? Now you see what fear causes. This fear, which the, the giants, the, the Canaanites, they're huge. Their toes are the size of my head. Their arms are the size of my torso. They're huge. They're going to destroy us. 
So they come back, they're afraid. Oh my goodness, look, these guys were giants. Now the, the fear spreads, the people are concerned. They're concerned for their wives, their children. They say, look, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? You see, fear, improperly placed, is a return to Egypt. Now, what is your Egypt? I don't know what your Egypt is. That's between you and the Lord. But for me, my Egypt was alcohol. You could throw in alcohol, anger, rage. You could throw in several things. But those are the biggies. Alcoholism and rage. Those are my biggies. That was Egypt for me. You see? What is your Egypt? What is it that... What is it that instills fear inside of you? I don't, you know, it's just a question, but to ask of yourself. What is it that instills fear inside of you? Now, you must give it to the Lord. You must give it to the Lord. Because if you don't give it to the Lord, or if you seek the counsel of fools, if you seek the counsel of idiots, you say, whoa, I don't like how you say that. What do you mean the counsel of idiots? Okay, go ahead. I'll be nice. I'll say it like Brother Paul says it. If you seek the counsel of idiotes, okay? Same word, just in Greek. If you seek the counsel of the idiotes, you'll go back to Egypt. That's what Satan wants. He wants you back in Egypt where you're not a threat. You're in his camp. That's what he wants. Are you going to let it happen? You see? Are you okay with that? The Lord's not okay with that. Because he bought you at a price. And since he bought you at a price, you're no longer yours. You're his. Now that you're like, whoa, that you're talking about ownership? Yes, I am speaking about ownership. You belong to him. You see? Re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen. I mean, read Hebrews 6. To crucify again for themselves, it's impossible to restore such a one. That's why Satan wants you in Egypt. He wants to pull you away from Christ. You say, whoa, that's hardcore. That's kind of brutal when you put it like that. That's the battlefield. Welcome to war. That's the battlefield. You say, oh, war is violent. War is violent. I don't like war. I don't like combat. Look at homes. Look at kids that are committing suicide. Look at kids that want to put a bullet in their mouth. Kids that are on drugs. You're telling me that's not violent? Welcome to war. You see? And I don't mean to put it like in terms like, you know, shocking terms like that. But I've had these conversations before with kids, young kids, teenagers, who had some major contemplating about suicide. I've read suicide notes of kids. They pull it out of their pocket. Look, this was the suicide note. Kids who've contemplated 
They know where the gun is. They know where the ammunition is. And they think, you know what? I'm, this, today's my last day on earth. You see? I know the combination. And I'm going to say goodnight. That's what fear does. Satan wants you to go back to Egypt. Not so that you can have a good time. He wants you back to Egypt so that he can kill you. He wants your kids back in Egypt so that he can kill them. Are you going to let that happen? Point blank. Are you going to let that happen? You see? We have to be equipped saints. Yes, for the work of the ministry. But understand that the battle is very real. And it's very violent. And in this violent atmosphere, we also have to be violent and dangerous. And I speak spiritually. I don't mean like, you know, we're going to go out and kill people. No. But we're going to be like, remember the demon, the sons of Siva and the demon? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you? Because they weren't a threat. They weren't dangerous. Paul was dangerous. Jesus was certainly dangerous. That's how we have to be. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves and yet still dangerous in Christ. You see? Let's go back to Numbers 32. And here we see in... So in verse 16, then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land, you see? And so we see a very similar concern of the people, what we looked at in chapter 14, verse 3. They were concerned for that next generation of righteousness. They were concerned for their wives and children. But never forget, fear. Fear doesn't make the fight go away. Yes, the defunct stay home, but that was last week. In our study in chapter 31, the defunct, stay in your tents, defunct, stay in your tents. But this week, today, of the defunct, don't be defunct anymore. That's the way of the fool. Don't be that way. You know what that requires as new covenant believers? You know what that requires? Repentance. Just like you see the clarion call of God, Genesis to Revelation, repent, 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 repent. And the whole objective is for people to be right with God. Old Testament, New Testament. Blood is required. Old Testament, a lot of blood. New Testament, a lot of blood still, but that of Jesus Christ. Repent, 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 repent. You got to repent. Be honest with yourself before the Lord. Are you defunct? If the answer is yes, repent. Don't forget, Satan, he wants to drag you to Egypt. And if he's not going to drag you to Egypt, he'll candy coat everything so that you'll 
Hop, skip, and jump your way to Egypt. And he's not, he doesn't want you in Egypt to have fun. He wants you dead. He wants to kill you. Your wife, he wants to kill her. Your kids, he wants to kill them. If you're a female, your husband, he wants them dead. Your kids, he wants them dead. He wants to kill them straight up. But you're a blood-bought people. Meaning, you're not your own. You belong to Christ. You are his. You see? And Satan knows that. So what does he do? He seduces. You see? Just like Balak as a type. How many times do you hear us say that? Balak is a type of Satan. Balak, a type of Satan, a type of Satan, a type of Satan. What does Balak do? He doesn't send the men. He doesn't send the warriors to the camp of Israel. You know who he sent? The women. The women. They do their sex. They do their whatever. And then all of a sudden, the men of Israel, what are they doing? They're defiled. They're bowing down to Baal. You see? That's what happens. Satan will seduce. And he does seduce. But who's going to take the bait? Where are the malah of this day and age? Where are those who are wholly following the Lord? Just like we see the example of Caleb and Joshua. Where are they? Male, female, where are they? Let it be said of us, a people of the way. Holy following the Lord, no matter the cost. You see? Fear will never make the fight go away. Fear properly placed in the Lord will prepare you for the fight. You see? In verse 18, we will not return to our homes until every, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. So what we're looking at here is a very early stage of Israel's expansion because they enter the promised land and like the Israel you see on the map today is not the Israel of the Old Testament. You see the it's like much bigger. The Israel of the Old Testament, the borders of Israel is much, much bigger. The Israel you see on the map today, it's a lot smaller than Israel in the Bible. So what we're starting to see here in verse 18 are the very, very early stages of Israel's expansion. You're also seeing something else. You're also seeing some reasoning with God. Because... What we don't see yet, and we're going to see it more in Deuteronomy, is you see the prayer life of Moses. What Moses would do when he would, people would ask him questions. People would seek counsel from him. And we don't see it so much here. We see a little bit of here, here in the book of Numbers. But you see it more in Deuteronomy where people would seek counsel. People would seek instruction. People would seek these things. And he would say, hold on a moment. And he would go and seek the face of the Lord. The Lord would instruct him and then he would tell the people, okay, thus saith the Lord. You see, you don't see that. You see a little bit of that in numbers, but we see a lot more in Deuteronomy. Now, on top of this, you see 
not just the, the early stages of Israel's expansion, the borders expanding, but you also see early stages of more reasoning with the Lord. I'll give you an ex- like like for example when when Moses says um, in verse fifteen for if you turn away from following him he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy these people which is a heavy statement that that that's counsel that Moses is that Moses received from the Lord that he is giving to uh, Reuben and and Gad this is counsel received of the Lord that he's giving to these two tribes. But he himself is getting the counsel from the Lord. He seeks the Lord. He's not just a blanket statement like this is how it is. No, he's seeking counsel from the Lord. But then on top of that, you're seeing Gad and Reuben reasoning with God. Because it becomes a permissible thing in this reasoning with him. They say, yeah, we'll go to war. We'll fight. But this land is still good for our livestock. Can we, can we still have our animals here? You know, we'll, we'll go. We'll leave our, our women and children here. We'll set them up. But when it's time to go to war, we'll go to war and we'll fight. We'll cross over the Jordan. And we'll cross over the Jordan and we'll fight. And then when the fight, when everybody has their inheritance, then we'll come back. And that's when you start to see the expansion of Israel to exceed the, 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 the water border of the Jordan River. You see, it's, this is the very early, and we're going to see more of that in future chapters and future books. But these are the very, very early stages of this inception of this idea, so to speak. Very interesting what we see here. Now. It's almost similar what we see with Abraham because, you know, with Abraham, you know, the Lord kind of scolds Abraham when he says, you know, Abraham, because you listen to your wife, you know, but then you read the chapters further and then all of a sudden the Lord is saying, uh, heed your wife, heed Sarah. So what's the difference? In one one instance, the, the, the Lord is saying, you know, it, chastising Abraham because he heeded his wife. But in another, in another chapter, the Lord is saying to Abraham, hey, listen to your wife. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is who Abraham sought counsel from. Because his wife came up with this idea and he just went with it. You see, the second time, and the Lord says, hey, that's not good. He chastised Abraham. And there's a heavy price to pay for that. I mean, we're experiencing that. And I speak of the, these family division. When I say family, I mean the, the extent of these families we're living it today. The disarray we see in the Middle East, which will be settled. This great, big, grand family dispute will be settled by the Prince of Peace. It will be settled. Jesus Christ will settle it all. He will. He's coming again and he will... He will settle it all. But the Lord said to Abraham, because you heeded your wife and chastised him, and then the next chapter, or a few chapters in, he, the next time he's saying, hey, listen to your wife. Now, Abraham, he just went with what his wife said. That's, that's why it was bad. He just The wife said this. He says, okay, I'm going to do what you say, wife. But then the next like, several chapters in, the Lord says, okay, listen to your wife. What was different? What was different? Abraham needed to seek the Lord. 
not just run with what she was saying. Now, there's a lot of godly wives out there. A lot of, remember, the high concentration that I see in my experience of the warrior class is with the women. That's just my experience. I see a larger concentration among females than I do with the males. But that doesn't say that the males have to continue being defunct. In some cases, the husbands need to listen to their wives. But before so doing, you have to go to the Lord. Don't be like Abraham in that regard. You have to go to the Lord. Because I also know a lot of men who say, oh, my wife's a prophetess or my wife is godly. My wife is a prophetess. And it could be. It could be that your wife is a prophetess. It could be. But it could also be that your wife is straight up crazy. Straight up loca. It can be that your wife is crazy. How will you know? Because if you just take the blankets, if your wife tells you, hey, husband, I'm a prophetess. And you say, okay, I'm going to forget, you know, the thus saith the Lord. And I'm going to say, okay, thus saith my wife. No, don't do that. Now, if your wife says she's a prophetess and you know that, go to the Lord. You have to verify that with the Lord. Because the Lord, like he said to Abraham, might say, well, because you hated your wife. Now I'm going to chastise you. Or he might say, listen to your wife. You know, you have to seek the counsel of the Lord, husband, men. You have to go to the Lord. And then you can go to your wife and be like, hey, you know what? You're straight up crazy because the Bible says this. You're no prophetess. And praise the Lord that we're not in Old Testament because if we were Old Testament, I'd have to kill you. I'd have to stone you. And praise be to the Lord. You need to repent, wife. You see? A lot of men, they like to abdicate the pastoral responsibilities as pastor of their home, as leader of their home. And they, they like to ad, ad, abdicate that responsibility unto their wives so that they like the defunct, so that they can play video games in their tents, so that they can watch their movies in their tents, so that they can do this and that in their tents. Meanwhile, Satan is at the doorstep desiring to take his wife, desiring to take the kids to Egypt, not to have fun with them, maybe for a little bit, to use them as his tools, as his vessels, but ultimately to kill them. You see? And I just gave a little example of Abraham and Sarah with uh, Reuben and Gad because they go to the Lord. Or they seek counsel from Moses, who in turn goes to the Lord, which we'll see more in Deuteronomy. Moses going to the Lord and saying, hey, not hey, Lord, but bowing his face before the Lord and saying, there's this problem that has arisen in the camp. Lord, what do I do? And the Lord instructs him, and then he goes and he instructs, okay, this is what the Lord desires. You see that explained more in Deuteronomy. You see, it's kind of like numbers in Deuteronomy is kind of like... Um, Acts and mm, Second Corinthians or Acts and Romans, where you see the, 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 the hands and the feet of Paul in Acts, but yet you see more of his heart in the epistles, in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. You see the, 
the hands and feet in Acts, but you see the heart and the mind in the epistles in Romans. It's kind of like that with Numbers and Deuteronomy. Remember that. For your own studies, remember that. You see, kind of like Numbers is kind of like a quasi-Acts. Even Exodus and Leviticus, it's kind of like a quasi-Acts because you see what's happening from an experiential standpoint. But when you get to Deuteronomy, it's Moses who's just pouring his heart out to the people. Explaining things, encouraging, warning. That's what we're going to study in Deuteronomy in a couple more weeks. And so let's continue here in verse uh, 19. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the on this eastern side of the Jordan. So they make this proposition like, yes, we'll cross over to fight and we'll engage in war. Because remember what was written in verse 6? Shall your brethren not go to war while you sit here? And so they're saying, okay, we won't sit here. We'll go to war. We'll go to war. But once the inheritances has, have been divvied out, once that's all established, we're going to come back. And when they come back, that's the very early stages of Israel's expansion and growth. The borders of Israel growing. And so we see here in verse 20. <clears throat> then Moses said to them. Now, remember, the leadership is listening. The leadership is listening. Eleazar, the leaders of the congregation, they're listening. They're all in earshot of this. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war. Remember, it's not a costume party. It's not let's dress up and pretend we're warriors. Let's, let's, let's dress up and pretend we're fighters. Let's talk a good game and say like we're fighters. No, it's not a costume party. It's not, you know, a lot of times you see they play their video games, their war games. They, they play these video games. Oh, look, I'm doing this. Look at that. Have you ever carried, you know, full gear? Full gear, your own weapon, cruiser weapon, multiple weapons. And that's just the weapons. You got to carry the ammunition too. And if you're going to be out in the bush for, you know, two months, if you're going to be in the field for two months, if you're leaving, leaving FIBA for two months, you're carrying your food too. And a whole lot of water. You carry that stuff. This, they're not just playing dress up. It's not, oh yeah, let, let's, let's talk a good game. Let's pretend we're of the warrior class. No, they're going to fight. They were defunct in chapter 31. Chapter 32, they're not defunct anymore. Let that be said. If you're defunct, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself before the Lord. If you're defunct, you need to repent. And don't be defunct anymore. Be alive in Christ. Don't be on your way to Egypt. Be on your way to paradise. You see? And notice all the ands. It's not just, you know, arm yourself for war, period. No, arm yourself for war. And in verse 21, all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord. See, there's no... No discouragement to the whole of Israel. Because remember in verse 7... You're, in verse 6, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? In verse 7, now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the, this, this land which the Lord has given them? So, in verse 21, there's no discouragement. No. 
They're they're going they're they're armed for war. It's not a costume party. They're armed for war and they will go they will cross the Jordan. There's no discouragement to Israel. And in verse 21 he continues until he has driven out his enemies from before him. You see God is using his vessels driving out his enemies. You see not excluding Gad and Reuben. So before they were, you know, in verse 5, their initial proposition was, hey, we're just going to stay here. If we, have, if we have found favor in your sight, they even say in verse 5. If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not, do not take us over the Jordan. Hey, we just want to stay here, Moses. Hey, Eliezer and all the leaders, you guys, we just want to stay here. No, 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 no. No, no, everybody's got to take a bite. You see, no more defunctness in the camp of Israel. And so now, in verse 22, still no period. And, and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterward, you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. You see, how beautiful do you see? It's their desire. Their desire wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Remember there, you know, in verse 4, the, the, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And it just so happens that your servants have livestock. Little additives there. Your servants have livestock. In verse 4, their desire wasn't entirely a bad thing. What was bad was their formula. That's what was bad because it was carnal. We'll just stay here. Moses, Eleazar, guys, leaders, we'll just stay here. If we have found favor in your sight, you know, let us stay here. Their formula was bad. All desires, all desires. That of the flesh, that of the spirit, all desires, the good, the bad, the ugly. You, we, me included, all of us. All desires must be given to God. All desires must be given to God. Because it could be that your desire isn't a bad thing. But it could be that your formula is bad. It could be that your desire is wicked. And when you give it to the Lord, it will be revealed. Hey, it's wicked. Don't do that. Repent. But I didn't do it. Repent because you thought about it. What do you mean? I got to repent for what's in my mind? Absolutely. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Meaning, obey Christ in your mind. Obey him in your mind. It's not like, oh, I haven't done this with my hands. I haven't done this with my feet. What have you done with your mind? You see? All desires, give them to the Lord. And if you seek counsel, or when you seek counsel, make sure you seek godly counsel. Don't seek counsel from the idiots. Oh, you're so mean. How can you say idiots? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'll say it like beautiful brother Paul, a vessel of the Lord. I'll say it like Paul. Don't seek counsel from the idiotes. Okay? Which of which there are many today. Defunct class. 
Don't seek, don't seek counsel from the defunct. Go to a different tent. Into a different camp. And I speak of the camp of the way. Not the way Christian fellowship. The way of people who are abiding in Christ. You see? Seek counsel from the godly. Not the defunct. Not the idiotes. A lot of stupid people are guiding stupid. The stupid guide stupid. What did Christ say? Red letters. If the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Don't be in a ditch. Don't fall into a ditch. That's what happens if you want to follow the blind. That's what will happen. It's only a matter of time. You see? In verse 23, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. You see, so there's specific order of what has to happen. If Reuben and Gad want this, if Reuben and Gad want that this land is good for livestock and they have a lot of li livestock, if they want that to happen, they still they go to war. And when they go to war, when, when, the, when the inheritances have been divvied out, everybody is settled in their prospective areas. Then they can come back and just their desire. They have their desire. It's not that their desire was a bad thing. Their formula, the, the how is what was bad. Which is very common in the church today. It's not to say that, you know, a parent wants bad things for their kids. Most parents want beautiful things for their kids. But there's the how. You see, oh, I, I want fellowship with my son. I want to hang out with my son. So, hey, son, let's watch this dirty movie. You see, it's not that that desire to have fellowship with your son is bad. But are you going to watch a dirty movie? Are you going to defile the, 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 the tent, the, the tabernacle? Are you going to defile the temple of your son and yourself? And call it good? No, go. Do something else. Have fellowship with your son. Oh, I want to have fellowship with my daughter. A mom says, oh, I want to have fellowship with my daughter. And I don't want to be a parent to my daughter. So I'm going to be a friend. So, you know what? Let's, I'm going to go to the club with her. We're going to go club. And, you know, it's ladies night. And these guys are going to hit on us. and do all, They're going to buy our drinks. And we're going to get drunk and get stupid. The desire to have fellowship with the daughter. That's beautiful. But the formula is stupid. You see, are you gonna, mom? Are you gonna defile the 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 the, uh, the, the tabernacle? Are you gonna defile the temple of your daughter, of yourself? No. It's wrong. The desire is, it's good. But there needs to be understanding. There needs to be wisdom. Now I'm giving very uh, stark examples of like, wow, that's pretty hardcore, but. I, I've seen it. I've seen it. I don't just pull these out of my hat. I, I, I've seen it. It happens. Just, just like Eli. Eli. What, you know, I say it, but I'll read it. Bear with me. Got to find it. <laughs> Verse 
1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Turn there really quick. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. You see, the, the Lord's a gentleman. He was quiet in those days. He was quiet. Except who did he speak to? Who did he speak to? He spoke to little Samuel. Now, what did he speak to little Samuel? Look at verse 12, same chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 12. In that day, I will perform against Eli. Eli was the high priest. Against Eli, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Now look, verse 13. For I have told him. When Eli had ears, the Lord told him, Eli, Eli, there's iniquity in your house. You need to fix that. Fix that iniquity, Eli. The Lord told him. Verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile, self-inflicted, remember? And you say, oh, that was his son's choice. His sons did that. So why does Eli have to pay the price for Eli in the end of verse 13? And he did not restrain them or he did not rebuke them. You see, he wanted to be a friend. How many parents do we see today? Oh, I want to be a friend to my kids. No, no, no. That's the way of the fool. That's the way of the idiot. Oh, that's so mean. How can you say idiot? Okay. That's the way of the idiotes. The fool. Kids need a parent. Kids need, need, need two parents. But I speak to you, mom. I speak to you, dad. Fulfill your responsibilities. Unto the Lord. And in so doing, unto your kids. And don't forget the millstone. I don't say that as a threat. But we have to count the cost. You say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. You should have thought about that. You should have thought. Did you not count the cost when you will you marry me? Did you not count the cost then? Did you not count the cost when you said, okay, yes, I will? That was like your first opportunity. Well, your first opportunity was, you know, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. That was your first opportunity. You could say, no, go fly a kite. The second opportunity is, you know, will you marry me? That's the second opportunity because you can either ask or you could say no. The next opportunity is, you know, uh, you know, at the actual wedding day, you know, do you say I do? You could say, no, I changed my mind. That's three opportunities. And those are just the three biggies. Intermixed, there's still more. But. Since you've already, you know, that's already happened. You have the kids. Now, every child, male, female, needs a mom and a dad. You see, don't be like Eli. Do not be like Eli. He wanted to be his kid's best. Oh, I want fellowship with my sons. I love my sons. I just... I want, I want to be a good parent. I want to be the good dad. I want to have a good time with them. And yeah, I know they're doing all this sex. 
I know they offer strange fire. And look, God's okay with it because he didn't kill them like he did with Aaron's sons. So they're okay. Are they okay? Is Eli okay? Because of Eli's defunctness. The kids were already defunct. They defiled themselves. They're self-inflicted. But because Eli refused to restrain them, refused to rebuke them, refused to correct them, it cost his life and his son's life because the Lord kills them all. You see? No. You see a lot of parents today. Oh, I, I just want to be my kid's best friend. I want to be friends of my, my daughter, you know. Let's go to the ladies' night, you know. I want to be friends with my son. Hey, let's go to the strip club. No. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't want you to have fellowship and oneness with your offspring, the progeny. But the formula is pretty messed up if that's the case. If you want oneness with your daughter and you want to go to ladies' night, if you want oneness with your son and you want to go to the strip club, your philosophy, your, your formula is pretty messed up. That's a messed up formula. You need to repent and change your ways, oh man. Change your ways, oh woman. Repent, repent, repent. Do not seek counsel from the idiotes. Seek counsel from the wise. The godly, not the defunct, not the ones that are, that are, you know, playing video games in their tents. No, seek, seek counsel from the godly of the 12,001. And I'm speaking very supernaturally. That's what I mean. You know, of late, you hear me reference Samuel quite a bit and, you know, the, as the Lord leads, here we are. We're just looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 32. In verse 23. But if you do, but if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, sin, sin always surfaces. Definitely in the life to come, the second death. But even in this life, sin always surfaces. You see, you hear people say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Most of the times they're sorry because they got caught. But if there's no change and that of the Holy Spirit, you know what it's called? There's a name for that. Manipulation. You see, there's a heavy Heavy, heavy cost on the whole. So, yes, it's not to say that the desires of Reuben and Gad were bad. But the formula of how to get that, what they wanted to do, their formula was wrong. They sought counsel from Moses. Now, it's not just Moses diving out like, okay, you know, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be like bada bing, bada boom, bada boom. No, Moses is going on his face before the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, Moses, this is how it's going to happen. And then Moses goes in obedience to the Lord and says, okay, this is, you know, this is permissible. 
But you got to go to war. You got to cross, you know, you got to cross the Jordan and go to war. And once the inheritances have been divvied out, then you can come back. That's fine. But if you don't do that, then you have sinned against the Lord and your sin will find you out. And don't forget, don't forget verse 15. If you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. It's going to come at a heavy cost, not just to Gad, not just to Reuben, but to all the camp, all the tribes. You see, a heavy, heavy cost. A lot of times with men. Oh, no one will know. It's just a little sex. It's just a little prostitute. It's just a little crack pipe. It's just a little whiskey. Nobody knows. But you're defiling yourself. And in so doing, you're defiling and killing your family. Your wife. Your kids. And you're a poor example. And then the kids grow up seeing that example. You see? Your wife is crazy because she's being tossed to and fro by you. And then the kids, they're often being tossed to and fro because they're being tossed that way because of you, your choices. Such is a choice set before Reuben and Gad. It's not to say that the desire was wrong, that they have the livestock, this land is good for us, okay. That desire is beautiful, but it must be in it must be given to the Lord. And the Lord must permit it. You say, oh, I have these desires for crack. Okay, that's not good. That is wickedness. Oh, I have these desires for sex. Okay, you have a wife and a business. Oh, I have desires for sex, so I'm going to go to the prostitute. I'm going to go to the strip club. I'm going to do the pornography. Nope, that's not good. Repent. Don't do that. That is wickedness. You see... There's a godly formula for all things pertaining to life. There's a formula. Genesis to Revelation, the formula is right here. But where is the malemala? Where are those who are wholly following the Lord and who will purpose in their heart to wholly follow the Lord in holiness? Just like this percentage of the whole, 0.0003%. A little remnant. This is a tiny remnant. You see? Now let's continue. In verse 24, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. You see? So these desires were met with godly counsel. This is the holy formula. It's okay. okay. You, you want to stay here? You want to have your livestock here in the land? Okay, fine. The, if the Lord is permitting it. But here are the rules. Here are the rules. You see? Here are the rules. You still got to go to war. You know? <laughs> you still got to You still got to take a bite of this sandwich. You see? You still got to go to war. You still got to fight. Because, oh, I'm a sex head. I'm a sex head. Okay. Fine. You got to get married. You know, it's better for you to, to, you know, get married and, you know, you can do your sexual stuff. But, you know, then to consume with fire, to be consumed by fire. That's why Paul says it's better not to get married. But 
If you have no control over sexual desire, sexual sin, okay, get married. I kind of feel bad for the wife because, you know, you'd like to get married for other reasons. But if it's all about the sex, you know, it's much better that than to burn in hell. You see? And you want to be a sex head? Okay, be a sex head. Your wife, get, you know, keep the marriage bed holy. Do your sex. And, you know, get pregnant. Your wife gets pregnant. You have the kids. And now, different ballgame. <laughs> Don't forget the millstone. <laughs> you see, I mean, the, you still got to go to war. So, yeah, you, Gad, Ruben, you got the livestock. You got the land. You got the land. Yeah, it can happen. But this is how it has to happen. To the man, you're a sex head? Okay. You got to get married. Do your sex. You have the kids. Now you got to raise them. Now you got to train them. Oh, I don't want to train them. I don't want to. You should have thought about that. Surprise. I don't want to train. I want to be defunct. I want to play my video games in the tent. Let the warriors go to war. But I want to stay here and do my video games. I want to watch my movies. Okay. You want to be defunct? There's a heavy price to pay to be defunct. Just like there was a heavy price to pay for Israel. If Gad and Reuben chose defunctness. Verse 15. What was the price? If you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Their blood is going to be on you, Reuben and Gad, if you don't obey the Lord. That's the formula. Yes, you can have your livestock here in this in Gilead. That's perfectly fine. But here's the rules. This is what the Lord desires. That's what Moses will you. They came counsel from Moses. Moses, you know, if we find favor in your sight. What, what they expect Moses? Oh, you know, they're, they're trying to butter me up, you know. They're trying to butter me up if we found favor. Sure, you're, you're favorable in my sight. Look, all these judgments that the Lord has had. And look, you're still alive, so you must be okay. Sure, go ahead. Keep your life. No, you know who would be obedient then? Moses. Or, you know, would be disobedient, I meant to say. Moses would be disobedient if that were the case. It is not the case. Moses seeks the Lord. And the Lord says, sure. Sure. But this is what has to happen. A lot of men, oh, I'm a sex head, I'm a sex head, so I'm going to get married. Oh, no, I'm a sex head, I'm a sex head, so I'm going to go to the strip club. I'm going to go to the prostitutes. I'm going to do my pornography. Okay, that's wickedness. You need to repent or burn in hell. You don't repent. You know, still repent, but okay, if you're a sex head, get married. Get married. I feel bad for the wife. I feel bad for the woman because you'd like that relationship to be based on spiritual things, matters of the spirit. But because of your weakness, they're based on matters of the flesh, matters of the carnal nature, matters of the things of Adam instead of things of Christ. So do your sex. You're a sex head. Do your sex. Wife gets pregnant. You have kids. Okay. Not your you're you're raising the co- you're increasing the the cost now you're accountable for all these children biblically accountable don't forget the millstone you see and then it's like oh what am i going to do now what am i going to do now it was a trap i should have never got married i should have never had kids i should have and i've had these conversations with men i should have never done this now 
because they're not used to subjecting themselves to godly counsel, what do they do? It would have been better if I never left Egypt the whole time. They've been seduced the whole time and it's a trap. They go back to Egypt. Not to have a good old time. To their own destruction. You see? Seduction. They're being seduced spiritually. That's the Lord gives us blueprints. For righteousness, godliness through the counsel of his word. Now, the Lord has certain people, appointed certain people, pastors, elders, not of the defunct class. You cannot seek counsel. You must be a Berean. You have to be a Berean. I could have said this 30 years ago, 100 years ago, but even more so in these last days, you must be a Berean. Because you're going to seek counsel from somebody who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? Woe is you. You're going to seek counsel who says to, from somebody who says, let's go grave soaking? Woe is you. You see, you have to be a Berean. And when you're a Berean, there might be times where you still need counsel. You must go to the godly. The Lord has these people to help us. To help us. The Lord has these people. Look at Chloe. All the, the defunct in, in Corinth. Where did those in that Chloe's household, her little home fellowship, where did they go? Paul. You see? Where do they go for counsel? Paul. Not just counsel, but you know, hey, Paul, we got a problem here. There's a problem in Corinth. You see, Paul as a vessel of the Lord, establishing order in the fellowships of the Lord in Corinth. See, we're, we're looking at this aspect of warfare in chapter 32. But we're also seeing the danger behind the defunct. Don't be that way. You see, we mature, we grow in Christ every day. More and more every day. And so let's continue here in verse um, 24. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. See, now under the, under the umbrella of godly counsel, the holy formula. Their formula before was carnal. Verse 5. That was their carnal formula. You know, let us just stay here. Let us not cross over. That was their holy, that was their unholy formula. That was their carnal formula. But the holy formula is, okay, do what is proceeded from out of your mouth. But here's the rules. Now, carnally, if with earthly eyes, after, with earthly eyes, we might see Reuben and Gad in Gilead with earthly eyes. And see their families in Gilead and think, okay, chapter 5 or, or verse 5 and, 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 and verse 24, they're exactly the same. Because they're in Gad, uh, Reuben and Gad, they're in Gilead. It's exactly the same. But with supernatural eyes, with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, it's completely different. 
Verse 5 is disobedience. Verse 24 is obedience. You see? In both scenarios, in both scenarios, Reuben and Gad would be in Gilead in both scenarios. Except in one scenario, all of Israel, that generation, would die. You see? It's the same thing. The Lord never changes. We tend to apply a carnal formula where we need to apply the spiritual formula and that of the word. I don't, when I say spiritual, I don't mean chakras and crystals and everything that's popular today in Christendom. A lot of Christians are going to the, the medians. They're going to the uh, their crystals, their chakras. It's witchcraft. It's evil. It's evil. And, you know, proof's in the pudding. You see it. The fruit is made evident. You must seek the godly. If you want godly counsel, you must seek the godly, not of the defunct. Just like Chloe, where do we go? Where do we go? Go to Paul. Their male headship. It should be a pastor. It should be an elder. But in these last days, it might not be. Go to the godly. Seek the godly. The Lord has these people as patterns. They will help you. They will guide you. And they might say things that are going to rub you the wrong way. You might have this desire and they're going to say, no, that's wicked. And they might say, sure. Sure, that's completely fine. But here are the rules. In accordance with the word of God, here are the rules. You can have exactly what you want. But these are the rules. You might not like the rules. You see, that... The Lord has these people. And you cannot be, you must be a Berean. You cannot be defunct. You must be a Berean. Because you have to be able to discern the godly. You see? A guy says, let's go grave soaking. Don't seek counsel from that guy. You see? A female pastor teaching males, don't seek counsel from her. Biblically, she's not a pastor. She might have the title pastor, but biblically, she's not. You see? Let's continue. In closing, um, in verse 25, and the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Notice the lowercase L. They're not saying, you know, Lord, like Moses is God, but they're saying as my Lord commands, they're in submission to him. Knowing that Moses is seeking the Lord, which you don't see too much here in this particular passage, but you see it in Deuteronomy. We've already seen a little bit of it already in Numbers where, you know, when people were going crazy, when the, the camp wanted to go back to Israel or go back to Egypt and you see Moses and Aaron, they're on their faces before the Lord. They seek the Lord. And they say, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Now, when you, when you submit to authority, you must be a Berean. You better be a Berean. When you submit to authority, you have to be a Berean. You see? Because what if you go seek counsel? What if you're not a Berean? Oh, pastor, I don't know what to do. What should I do? I think this is a good choice for me. What do I do? Hmm, let me think about this, my friend. Let me think about this, son. 
Hmm. Let's go lay on this grave over here. Let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on this grave over here. And maybe the Holy Spirit will, will, will be in this coffin and will soak up through the soil and soak up in our bodies. And maybe he will guide us. You see, that's demonic. You're to seek counsel from that. That's an idiotes. That's a foolish one. Don't seek counsel. from You must be a Berean. Verse 26, our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be, will, will be there in the cities of Gilead, but your servants will cross over. See, male headship, the male headship of Gad and Reuben. Your servants will cross over every man armed for war. You see, it's not a dress up party. It's not, you know, we're going to have a, a little sword and, you know, a, a little sheath our swords and, you know, carry a little plastic shield. Or pretend, oh, let's just, let's pretend we're warriors. No, every man armed for war, they're armed. Armed for war before the Lord to battle. You see, straight up to battle. To engage in warfare and destruction. That's how it translates. Armed for war before the Lord to battle. It's to engage. It's to engage in warfare. Battle. Destruction. Now, you say, oh, destruction is bad. Destruction is bad. I get it. Destruction can be a bad thing. But whose side? On whose side? Because if strongholds of Satan are being destroyed, I say to war. To war we go. That the strongholds of the enemy may be destroyed. To battle, to engage in warfare, and to destroy. You see, Satan destroys. Satan straight up destroys. But we also can destroy the strongholds of Satan spiritually. It's not physically. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are supernatural, they are entirely supernatural and spiritual. Warriors, the warrior class, and high concentration among females, the warrior class. Verse 28, in my experience. So, I mean, you know, like on Sunday, like when we used to go to church in California on Sunday, you see all kind, you know, a lot of females, but you'd see more males on Sunday. But on Wednesday, all fe- like you'd see like three guys and all these females, a lot of old females. On Wednesday, or there'd be like you know a Sunday uh, 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 message, and then a Wednesday Bible study, and sometimes there'd be like a prayer meeting on a Thursday, and even then you'd see a smaller group, a remnant within a remnant within a remnant, and you see an even smaller group, and they're all women, a lot of old women, a lot of old lady, a lot of gray hair, silver hair, white hair, a whole lot of wrinkles. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful warriors, straight up fighters who fight the good fight on their knees. That's what I mean when I say the warrior class. Friday night, everybody wants to go out and have fun and do their parting, do whatever. But then there's just prayer meetings open to everybody. But who shows up? The old ladies. You see? The old ladies. Verse 28. 
So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, now you have accountability, making sure everybody's on the same sheet of music. Everybody's on the same page. Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. You see, no Gilead, no Gilead for them. You see, this, I got to tell you, this is a big problem today. Because people today, we, we say we want Gilead, but we don't want obedience. We want blessings, but we don't want obedience. You see? Oh, I like, I like the land of Gilead, but I don't like to obey. You see? I like the good things. You see? But I don't want to obey. It doesn't work. That's a carnal formula. That's a carnal formula. You cannot have a carnal formula. If, you, if you've been applying a carnal formula to your life and in your life, let today be the last day. Go and sin no more. Repent. And don't do that anymore. You see? In verse 31. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord, now you see it, L-O-R-D, the covenant name of the Lord. As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. You see, Moses is getting counsel from the Lord. Moses himself is in submission to the Lord. And in so doing, he is now able to counsel. You see, do not submit, never submit to the defunct. Never submit to the defunct. Look at what it cost Corinth. The people of Corinth in submission to their pastors and elders, the leadership. But look at what it cost them. Look at the, look at the works of the flesh in Corinth where Paul says your rejoicing isn't a good thing. First Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to our study through First Corinthians chapter 5. Your rejoicing isn't a good thing, he says. Don't submit to the defunct. There was more of the, a higher concentration of the warrior class in Chloe's house, her little home fellowship. Might've been a big fellowship, but compared to the masses of Corinth, a little home fellowship, a higher concentration, which I can make a strong, strong, strong case that is largely female. Verse 32, we will cross over armed before the Lord into the, into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. These are the early stages of Israel's expansion beyond the Jordan, which we're going to see more in future chapters. It, it becomes a problem too in future chapters. It becomes a problem. So sometimes, you know, what you want isn't always a good thing. Yeah, I want this. I want this. You know, the Lord permits it. You have it. And you realize, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. Well, you should have thought about that before you married her. You should have thought about that before you married him. A lot of times I see that in marriage. You have to think. You have to think. Oh yeah, but you know, we had we did we love and we do all these things and now we have kids and 
My kids are crazy. Well, your kids are like you. I've spoken to your kids. They're just like you. Oh, my kid, he's a sex head. He's a sex head. Yeah, he's a sex head. But so are you. You see? Oh, my kid is having problems with drugs. Okay. It's sad. It breaks my heart. But so are you. Your son is addicted to this. So are you. You see? Not always the things that you want are the things that God wants for you. Or us. We're in the same boat. You see? We're going to see in future chapters. Remember? And I'll, 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 you know, we'll make mention of these things. I'll say, remember our study in Numbers. Remember our study in Numbers 32. And look, here, it's coming back to bite. Remember our study here. And if, you know, I'll even say, you know, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study in Numbers 32. And I'll forget Numbers 32, and I'll say, just listen to Numbers. Get yourself caught up. Listen to all of it. You see? In verse 33, so Moses gave... is in verse 33 in closing. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the city of the surrounding countries, the surrounding country. Now you see, this is the booty and spoils of war that we studied last week. The expansion of Israel into these lands of uh, the peoples that they defeated. In verse 34, and the children of Gad built or translates as rebuilt. The children of Gad built or rebuilt Dibon and Ataroth and Aroer, Atroth and Shofan and Jezer and Jogbeha, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran. Fortified cities and folds for sheep, and the children of Reuben built or rebuilt Heshbon and Eliale and Kirjathaim, Nebo and Be'el Meon, their names being changed, and Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built or rebuilt. Remember, like, I mean, you see that in modern warfare today, I mean, you see like a, 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 a town be destroyed and and destroyed by war, but in the course of time, you see it completely rebuilt. Inchon, Inchon, you, like with, with Korea, Inchon, a total war zone, destroyed war zone, but now they have like golf tournaments there, you know, and it's like rebuilt. Vietnam, the same thing. Uh, uh, every nation that has experienced war has seen the ravages of war. You know, and you see the rebuilding of the aftermath of war. The same thing is happening here. The rebuilding of these cities, except now these cities are going to be fortifications when Israel goes to war, when they cross the Jordan and go to, go to war, not to exclude Gad and Reuben. In verse 39, and the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it or occupied it and dispossessed. I love that. Translates as to cast out. To dis. Possess, cast out is how it translates. Dispossess the Amorites who were on it. Now, spiritually, for you and me, it's exactly the same. You say, wait a second. You mean that we're supposed to go into these areas and just destroy them, go to war? Well, not carnally. Spiritually, absolutely. Absolutely. Because Luke 19 verse 13 says, 
occupied till I come. Some translations say, uh, do business till I come. I love that because to the warrior class, you know what doing business is to the warring class? The warrior class? You talk to a warrior and you say, hey, warrior, let's handle business. Do you know what that means to them? That means something, you know, you might think handle business is like one thing, but to the warrior class, to handle business, it's a dirty business. Occupy till I come. That's what the Lord says. But then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the salt of the earth. But what happens when salt loses its flavor? It's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. You know what's happening to our cultures today? Defunctness. Salt has lost its flavor. We have become defunct. And salt has lost its flavor and our land is being trampled underfoot by men. Why? Because we haven't occupied. You see, we have not handled business. And I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about, you know, kicking in doors and, you know, doing. I'm talking about spiritual warfare, knocking on doors. <laughs> you see. And I'm not, you know, not in the, in, not like the uh, J-dubs do, the Jehovah's Witness, not like the Mormons. What about being a witness? Use the gospel when necessary, use words, or preach the gospel when necessary, use words. What about teaching a coworker who's having a hard time, having a conversation with him or her? You see, having a conversation, hey, What's the matter? What's happening here? And then they open up to you. I can't tell you how many conversations, not in a church setting, not in a church setting, just out of the blue. People just open up. Oh, I got this problem. Oh, this is happening. Sometimes they even say, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. But in my heart, I know why. This is a divine appointment. And you need to hear this. You see? In verse 40, so Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also, Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took it, took its small towns and called them Hevoth Jair. Then Naboth, uh, uh, no, Nobah, went and took Kenath and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his own name. You see? Now, this is the end of the chapter, but we have to understand, you and me both, we're in the same boat. You see a picture here in chapter 31. The defunct class, you stay in your tent. You stay home. This battle is not for you. This battle is for this battle is for the warrior class. It's for the male mala. But chapter 32, okay, now you arm up. It's not a dressing party. Don't dress like you're a warrior. Be a warrior. Because you're gonna go to war. You're gonna go to war. You're gonna fight. Battle also translates as destruction, to engage in war and destruction. You say, oh, destruction's a bad thing. Depends. Depends. Because the destruction of the strongholds of Satan, I'm all for it. Let's handle business. You see? If you're defunct, you cannot be defunct anymore. Purpose in your heart. Repent, number one. But then purpose in your heart, don't be defunct anymore. Now these strongholds, these villages, these strongholds are strongholds for their families. 
when they cross the Jordan and fight and engage in warfare. Now, I said in closing before, but this is really in closing. The formula, the formula here, the godly formula, you see this desire of Gad and Reuben. You have to count the cost. Whenever you have a desire, good, bad, ugly, whenever you have a desire, at what cost? Ask yourself that. At what cost will this come? What will be the cost of this? What will be the penalty of it? Not just on you, for the whole, your family, for a fellowship, a congregation. You have a youth leader, for example, who has sex with a teenage girl. Okay? At what cost did that come? Look at the marriage that was destroyed. Children destroyed of both families. Now, you have the church destroyed. Total destruction. The name of the Lord run through the mud because, oh, look, the Christians, look what's happening with the Christian, this Christian church. They preach the gospel one day, but then the next day they're doing this. They're having sex with their kids. You see, look at the cost it that takes on the whole. Yes, sin for the individual, the two parties. And for that youth pastor, so-called youth pastor of the defunct class, it, as a heavy cost it comes. You see, at a heavy, 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 heavy cost. That's the works of Satan you see, seducing, wanting the desire to bring people back to Egypt, whatever form Egypt comes in, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, whatever form Egypt is, Satan wants to bring them there, not to have a good old time, not to party, not to laugh, to kill them, to destroy them. And he's very effective. You have to count the cost. At any desire. Then, what's the lesson from biblical history? For Reuben and Gad, he just looked not even too long ago. In verse 9, he says, When they went to the valley of Shoah and saw the land, he references the recon mission. They came back as scaredy cats. What's the lesson that the Bible teaches? Biblical history. Oh, I have this desire to do this. Okay. Well, that desire matches what these guys wanted. What was, what was the prescription then? What does the Lord say through his word? Are there any other it is also written? Have you tested the spirits? You see, this is part and parcel of spiritual warfare. The warrior class. Now the correct path is laid out. Now there's a time for choosing. You see, just like Moses said, like, you know, the, if um, in verse 22 at the end, this land shall be your possession before the Lord. And then in verse 23, but if you, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. So the choice is yours, Gad and Reuben. The choice is laid, the path is laid out. Now you have to choose. The same applies for you and me with godly counsel. The correct path is laid out. Now there's a time for choosing. Always, 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 always choose to obey. Always. You're going to have times where you walk according to the flesh. In those moments, learn. 
repent and learn. And then the next time, choose to obey. This is a lesson. We're still in these earth suits. We still have to learn these things. We're not perfect, but we move on to perfection. That's our aim. That's our goal. We're not perfect. When you're perfect, you'll be dead. Obey. Choose obedience. And in so doing, you will have victory. The zero casualties. You see? Godliness is required. 100% godliness is required from, the, from both the provider and the recipient of counsel. Godliness is required. You see? Nothing defunct and nothing mangy. How many times do you hear us say that through our study through the Old Testament offerings unto the Lord? You see? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. Nothing defunct and nothing mangy. You know what that, that, that is called? That is called the war footing of the warrior class. You see? And that's us, a people of the way, fighting the good fight of faith until our very last breath. We're going to end our study here and pick up, Lord willing, in chapter 33. Beautiful, beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.